if you're not committed to growth as a process, it's very hard to make it sustainable. Growth is fraught with barriers, things that will get in your way, problems you'll run into, mistakes you'll make. And if you don't have a good process to support that, it's hard to, to really drive that continuous growth cycle that's so important to a company. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. Before we jump into today's interview, if you guys could leave a review and a rating and also subscribe as well, that would be a huge help to the podcast. So if you actually enjoy the content and you'd like to hear more of it, please support us by leaving us a review and subscribe to the podcast as well. Thanks so much. Okay, everyone, today we have Ethan Gar, who is the VP of Product and Marketing at Teltech which is a portfolio of apps and services. Uh, and we're going to talk about those apps and services because they have a lot. But first and foremost, Ethan, how is it going? Pretty good. Thanks so much for having me on, on your podcast. Yeah, thanks for being here. So why don't you give us a little background on kind of who you are and what you do over there at Teltech? Sure. So as VP of product marketing at Teltech, I'm responsible for really for growth at Teltech. So we have a team now of, uh, I think, 21 people. Um, which includes product managers, marketers, designers, and data analytics team is super important to us. And yeah, so uh, we've been building this portfolio of products now for, um, I think, almost 12 years. And our biggest one now is our, our hit product, RoboKiller, which stops those annoying spam calls on your iPhone and Android phone, and then actually answers them with answer bots, which are robots of our own that talk back to the spammers and waste their time giving them a taste of their medicine. So that's where I am today. Um, It's kind of been an interesting journey to get there. I actually started my career uh, in a public relations firm during the dot-com boom, and one of our clients was a media property called Uproar.com. And they poached me to come work for them. And I was really fortunate after a series of uh, sort of positions fell apart there. I ended up in a marketing role working for Sean Ellis, who later termed the coin, uh, coined the term growth hackers. And uh, Sean's become a really good friend and uh, has been a great mentor throughout my career. Um, and we really follow his growth marketing methodology that he, that he put down in his book, uh, Hacking Growth, that he wrote with uh, Morgan Brown. But along the way, I worked for some interesting companies um, previous to Teltech. I've been at Teltech now for four years, but I was uh, not in the tech business. I was working for a jewelry distribution company. Um, and before that, I'd actually uh, had my first foray into the world of entrepreneurship. I had started a do-it-yourself public wood shop. So <laughs> I've kind of done a little bit of everything <laughs> to get here. How did that? So the wood shop, I mean, how did that come about? I was living in an apartment. Uh, with my wife. And one day I looked at her and I said, man, we really need a coffee table. And uh, I said, I wish I could build one because I really like doing stuff with my hands. But we lived in an apartment. We had no space to do it. And I looked at her and I said, I have a great idea. I think uh, time would tell that maybe it wasn't as great an idea as I thought. (laughs) (laughs) But it was was a great learning process. Um, I, you know, I learned all the sort of pieces that you need to build a business from the ground up from, you know, brick and mortar building out a space. Um, we took old warehouse space and converted it into a, uh, into, into this, uh, 
educational space, this wood shop and a class and a, um, a shop where you could buy things. So we're trying to, and you know, now there's these maker spaces in some of, you know, in, in San Francisco and some other places. Um, uh, so I'd like to say I was ahead of my time, but, uh, we had some fun in the process for sure. That's great. Yeah. I think the thing is there's really, uh, even the, the, the things that we've done in the past, maybe they don't really align with where we are now, I, but I think they all do align because all our experiences lead up to, you know, who we are now. So I, yeah, whenever people are like, you know, was that really relevant to what you did? Like all the time I spent playing games growing up, I, I think it's absolutely relevant. Anyway, that's, you know, without getting too sidetracked, can you actually talk about the, the suite of products that you have just for a second so I, everyone's aware? Because I use one of your, your products, Tape a Call, just to record calls sometimes for, for sales purposes. So can you talk, you talked about RoboKiller already. Can you talk about the other ones? Sure. So all of our products are sort of in this privacy and security space. So we have these mobile phones where we live, we're attached to them. They, they're so important to our lives and we don't have full control of them, whether it's because of spam calls or harassing phone calls. So Teltech has always been kind of in, in that fight. Our first product, which is very controversial, was a product called SpoofCard or is a product called SpoofCard. And SpoofCard um, allows you to change your caller ID which uh, it gets spoofing gets a bad rap because people use it for nefarious purposes. But spoof card, it was not designed for that at all. It was designed to help people change their caller ID so that they could protect themselves. So for example, doctors will use it if they have to call a patient from their mobile phone or their home phone at night, they can change their caller ID to make it look like they're calling from their hospital or their office. So that sort of got us into the space and got us involved in the, the world of telecom and privacy and security. And from there, we ended up uh, building trap call and trap call lets you unmask block calls. And again, that was sort of this form of harassment that was going on. It was all the rage, you know, yeah. nine ten years ago. That's what everybody was complaining about was they were getting these calls from unknown numbers that they, and they didn't know who's calling. So trap call would actually let you see who's calling from behind those mass numbers. And it still does that to this day. And it's great. But over time, we've also evolved it into sort of a uh, Swiss Army knife of privacy and security knife, privacy and security for your phone. So it does everything from recording, transcription, spam protection. Uh, it'll give you missed call alerts. We have a feature called privacy lock. So if a call can't be identified because it's uh, an, uh, just an IP address is behind it, it's a sort of a captcha for that process. So we've added a whole bunch of features that make it really useful for people today. And then that was gave us the the tools and insight that eventually led to RoboKiller. And RoboKiller is just a really great example of how we use, uh, how innovation drives our culture. The FTC had put together a competition. to They were looking for help from the technology world uh, to help solve this problem of telemarketing calls because it's the worst, the largest complaint that the FTC and the FCC get from consumers. And... We saw the, the competition as an opportunity to flex our our skills and on the technology side, and it, then it became you know a passion for us. And it took a couple of iterations, and we kind of uh, went away from RoboKiller and then back to it in, before we got to where we are today. But uh, over the last year and a half, it's really grown um, exponentially. It's been fantastic for us, and we really enjoy it because, again, it, that idea of a culture of innovation. We we don't just look at the at the problem and say. How do we block these calls from from reaching you? Say, so how do we help you get revenge on these on these people? And that's where AnswerBots came into play, and a tool that let you fight back and turn the tables on scammers was something I think the the world was really excited about. 
I love all these products, and I, I think uh, anybody listening to this, you're probably going to want at least one of them. I now now that you mentioned Robo Killer, I'm like I get so many. I I, don't, I basically don't even pick up my phone anymore, like very rarely, just because it's all like spam calls. Sometimes I get like Chinese people calling me. I'm Chinese. It's like Chinese robots. Um, so. No, I'm just like, okay, I've had enough. Um, so I, I, you know, I highly recommend everyone take a look into it. Before we go into kind of a talking through experimentation, can, are there, what kind of numbers can you share around the business overall right now? Growth rates, revenues, customers, whatever you can share, just drop it. Uh, there's not too much I can share on revenue or growth rate. Uh, growth rate. I can tell you our growth rate's been fantastic. We've <laughs> sort of the uh, up and to the right hockey stick sort of growth for RoboKiller has, um, has been where we are. But actually, one of the reasons why we we don't we no longer publish our user count was that we realized that telemarketers and spammers were actually um, starting to use our numbers against us, and they were trying to take the information that we were publishing to figure out how to better fight, combat us. So, good sign that we're winning the battle against spam calls. But um, it definitely was uh, one of the considerations when we said let's let's not publish that particular data point. Got it. Cool. Well, you know, if, if people, I mean, look, th- I, I've already gotten so much value from this, just like, you know, getting the, the, the rundown of the suite. But um, anyway, so, you know, talking through experimentation and this is, um, there's this book, um, God, I forgot who wrote it, but um, it's called High Growth Handbook. And, you know, in there, it talks about how, you know, for any company really now, nowadays, everybody's like an online company, right? And talks about how the, the importance of running experimentations, whether it's like, you know, one a week or so, just keeping experimentations going, because if you can improve, you know, one percent, five percent, you know, week over week, that's going to compound over time. Five uh, percent is fantastic week on week. But I guess what what I'm what we're here to talk, really talk about today. You've written a series of blog posts. Is the concept around driving continuous growth? So can you explain what that means? Sure. So it comes back to the, what you're describing. Um, what we what, what we use is this idea of high tempo testing, right? If you're just haphazardly testing here and there, it may lead to growth. But we believe. And this is, again, something I learned uh, working for Sean Ellis and his book really tells us that if you're not committed to growth as a process, it's very hard to make it sustainable. Growth is fraught with barriers, things that will get in your way, problems you'll run into, mistakes you'll make. And if you don't have a good process to support that, it's hard to, to really drive that continuous growth cycle that's so important to a company. So, you know, I always say we have. A, I have. A, I can come up with ideas faster than any than anybody can build them. And you know, I think all of us who are you know growth minded are like that. The key is this prioritization of, of of growth ideas, and it comes down to okay, if you're going to prioritize them, if you can put them into this process and kind of spin that flywheel, you've got to put the right things into the flywheel into this into this engine of growth. But you also have to think about it from the perspective of what am I putting in there. How am I going to do it and how am I going to make sure that I learn something from it so that I can make good decisions following that? And that's really where we, we put a lot of focus. It was, you know, and to our, you know, we hired Julia, who you met, um, as our growth, uh, our director of marketing. Um, she's really helped me. She's really a champion, uh, this process for us, but we really, we don't look at growth as, and testing as something we do here and there. It's something that drives our whole culture. It, every week, if all of our products aren't testing, I don't have multiple tests running, then something's not not right. Somebody's Somebody must be on vacation or something because that's our, our whole process is about making sure that we have this engine of high tempo testing constantly running. And then as we've evolved and grown and, and put the resources into place so that we could really run that, um, then it became 
more important, not just that we're running a lot of tests, but that we're running the right tests so that we can have a high impact. And I think Sean's referred to it as high impact testing as well. And that's what we're really striving for is to make sure that we're running a consistent number of tests all the time, but really making those tests have value and finding the impact for us um, and really doing things purposely and with intention. So how does that look? I mean, let, let's see. So your, your growth team right now, you said is 21 people. Our total product marketing team is 21 people. Yep. Got it. Okay, cool. So, I mean, how does it look for you? I mean, like, you know, what's the cadence for these? Uh, How long are they? What's like the agenda? I guess you don't need to get that granular, but, uh, you know, just so people get a a sense of how it looks. Sure. So at any given time, let's take a a product like Tapacall. Right now, Tapacall might have three or four concurrent tests running. And tests, you know, some tests take longer than others. So sometimes you have a test that's running and you're just waiting for results. And at the same time, you're getting another test. Maybe we can define like what, what a test is. I'm sorry. Sure. A good example would be a pricing test, right? Like, you know, pricing is a great lever for companies to, uh, to drive growth um, and finding the optimal price that whether you're trying to optimize for revenue or for users, that's always a challenge. So we might do a test where we say, hey, you know, our our monthly subscription is $399 and our yearly subscription is $29.99. What happens if we try $499 and $29.99 or some different pair or a really you know a much higher price pair to see how that, that will impact either of those those levers? So those are, that would be a, a typical test that we might run. Um, a feature test, uh, you know, sometimes we'll you know run a test that's sort of a barn door test. We'll put a you know a feature in there that's really the start of a feature, so that people can kind of um, give us a sense of whether it's something they're truly interested in. So those are the kinds of tests that we're running. Um, so it starts with an ideation process. We have a, a biweekly growth meeting. Um, some people run weekly growth meetings. We found that every two weeks was a was a good um, cadence for us. During that process, we'll review the tests that are that are in progress, talk about what's going well, what's not going well. We'll talk about the tests that are already in the pipeline. And we, we have a nominations process where we'll actually let everybody in the room, everybody on the team, nominate their favorite tests. And usually that's around a theme. So if we're f- trying to focus on acquisition for a quarter or we're trying to focus on uh, retention for a quarter, we're going to try to make the, you know, set the nominations around that goal. We'll plan essentially the next set of tests and then the product owners, the marketing team, really somebody will take ownership based on what that test is. And then it's about getting the right resources involved and getting every you know buy-in from the team so that we can run the test effectively. Um, and I think our data analysis team really becomes critical in that phase because especially with bigger tests, you know, where there's more, um, there are more unknowns. We feel it's really important to create a document process. We use something we call a vision document where we really lay out what the test is going to be, a summary of it, the objectives, the success, you know, a clear hypothesis, you know, that has, that's metrics driven and then success metrics that will tie into that hypothesis so that we can really understand whether this is going to be a success or not, whether the, what we learn was, you know, proves or disproves our hypothesis. So we get everybody in the room, we try to get everyone involved, and we make sure that the data team can answer the question, these questions. Do we have that data? And can, are we properly instrumented, instrumented to answer those questions? Because we don't want to run a test where at the end of it, we're going to be looking around at each other and saying, what did we learn? And somebody says, well, we don't really know. We really want to make sure that we're very intentional about our testing. And I think that's probably a key thing. I think any anybody in the startup phase or really in any phase of, of growth should really think about is when you run a test, don't do it half-assed. 
make sure that you do have a clear hypothesis, one that's that says by doing this, we expect to see this, not by doing this, we expect to see something happen because you'll see something happen most likely. But unless you have an expectation of what that something will be, it's very hard to iterate from there and to say, hey, we learned what we thought we would learn. What can we do next? Or we didn't learn what we thought we could learn. Did we make a mistake? Is there something we should retest or should we pivot to something else because this isn't the right direction to go? Right. And what happens when uh, so I'm just kind of thinking like when there are a ton of ideas and it seems like there's more ideas than you can actually test at, at one time. So what do you do in that situation? So that's always the case, right? I, um, I would say, as, especially once you've established your your product, then everybody has an idea from the CEO to, to tech support. There's always people throwing ideas out there and it becomes a question of, how are you going to drive value? How are you going to make whatever, how are you going to make your test count? So clearly you have to have a good management system for that. We use uh, growth hackers, North star as a tool, as a tool to help us. And I think it's, you know, that's, it's a good tool. It works well for us. At the end of the day, you, uh, you have to come up with an organized approach that help that works for you. I mean, you can start with Trello boards or spreadsheets, although I think the sooner you get to a more serious growth product like North star, the more successful you're going to be. But when you're using these products, then the, the key is that you have a, a, a backlog that can be managed, that can be groomed. So our nomination process is really important to this. You know, every week we go into this growth meeting and everybody votes on what they think are the right tests to, to run. If you don't have some thematic stuff going on, like, hey, we really want to focus on retention this month or this quarter or you know, activation is an area that we think we need to really put emphasis on. If you don't have an area like that, I think it's a little hard for everybody in the room to make, you know, sort of intelligent nominations. You're then you're just nominating sort of, Hey, this looks like fun. And it really should be about nominating what you think will be impactful and effective and doable in a, in a reasonable time frame. I think you have to weigh those things together. And when you do, you can then prioritize. But I think we've been through a number of product management products um, at Teltech. And ultimately, they all end up with a very big backlog. And at some point, somebody says, is anybody ever going to look at this? And I think that's kind of a constant problem for every, you know, for every company that's that's growing is the the idea backlog continues to, to expand. So I guess my two suggestions there is whenever you have a product where you're going to make, you're going to put things into a backlog, ideas that you're going to test at a later date, you should really emphasize to your team that they should make the titles meaningful and easy to understand. So, you know, a good, you know, I gave you the example of like a pricing test. If you just put in pricing test as a title on a card, over time, it just becomes noise, right? If you say high, high value pricing test where we're going to test $29.99 for monthly, then it means something to people. And I think, so just your, your sort of how you codify thing, your nomenclature matters when you do these things, because ultimately there will come a time where you need to go through your backlog and say, guys, this is never going to happen. Let's just throw it away and focus on the ideas that, that will, that are important. And if you're going to do that, it really helps to have things that are very, that very easy to visualize. Hey, this is a test that we think will help us grow because it will do this. Right. 
And you know what? I mean, we're, we're, what we're going to do as well, is the, the, the two links you sent me before, I think they're really good. I mean, one's titled, um, you can literally Google this, um, here's how to ruin an experiment. I think that one's good because we all ruin experiments. Um, and then there's also one called how to kickstart your growth process. That one's on conversion Excel. So I think it's required reading for anybody that has an online business, which is almost um, anybody listening to this or they're involved with an online business. Now, I, I do want to talk about North Star for a second because there's this concept of the ICE model, right? Mm-hmm. Can you explain what that is and how you've you've you used it to your advantage? Yeah. So ICE is impact, confidence, and effort. They're simple one to ten scale, and it's sort of the uh, the kind of the very quick version of a uh, you know a risk reward assessment, right? You basically are saying, look, here's an idea, and I think it's going to have a very high impact. It's I'm very confident it'll have a high impact and it's not going to be a lot of work. And it gives you this, it spits out this number, you know, it's, you know, somewhere from zero to 10, you know, it's the average of these three numbers and you, you know, by itself that, that I score isn't going to be very value to you, valuable to you. But now you have another test that's a little bit lower impact, but higher, higher, higher confidence, but a lot of effort. Well, it's got a lower I score. Well, now you have a, a, a method for prioritizing. You know, if one test has a ice score of eight and another one has an ice score of four, the one that is an eight probably should go first. Doesn't mean the one that has a four should never be done, but obviously you want to focus on the things that you you think are going to have the you know the biggest impact sooner, right? I mean, and speed is is always a good good thing to talk about here because you know a test that's going to take you months and months to put together that you are really confident in, you know, and you think it'll have a, you know, high impact, that's great. But if there's 12 different things that you could do in the shorter time period, that'll have more value to you, you're getting the more value today. And especially in the world of recurring revenue and things like that, it's important to, to get your wins as soon as possible. But all of this always has to be balanced for a while. You know, we, I mean, we're, we're a growth team. I was hired for growth and we were super focused, hyper-focused on, you know, growth, growth all the time and high tempo testing all the time. And I believe in it and I love it. But there came a point with uh, one of our products, Trap Call, where the product itself needed some ten- tender loving care. It really needed some help. We needed to step back and fix some things that had become problematic on it, you know, just, you know, bugs and things like that. And our growth tempo was so high that it was hard to find time to, to carve out to do this. And so we actually had to back off and take a, you know, set up, uh, set up a few sprints where we were really focused on just, you know, the business, you know, getting the the foundations shored up again. And it was worth, worth its weight in gold. I mean, it, I, it was as valuable as many of the growth tests that we've done, but you can't put an ice score on that. So ice is, ice score has been helpful for us because it's a quick way for us to assess value and, and prioritize things. But I think it's, it's just one piece of the puzzle. It's one part of the equation. Yeah, I think it's it's good to quantify kind of every single test. But to your point, I mean, what we were struggling with was like, okay, some of these ice things where you know you, you can score from a scale of as low as three to as high as thirty. Sometimes we'd have things that are like you know twenty eights and thirties, which are like really high. It's like, should we do it? But in some cases, we might have something that's rated like a twenty two because it takes more effort to get done. But it's actually you know long like it's it's something we should do like right now. So uh, I guess my point, I, my my question to you is, are you you don't follow it religiously? Right. No, and you know, and I think growth is about growth, and and all this kind of this kind of conversation that you and I are having is not about prescription. It's about inspiration. Right. Um, at the end of the day, when I write, when I like the article that uh, 
that I, I sent to you that you um, that you said you'd share. I don't expect anybody to look at those articles and say, if I do what Ethan did at Teltech and what the Teltech team did, that we will have the same success, mm-hmm. right? That's not how it works, right? I mean, you, we could have similar companies and try similar tests and have two different, completely different results. The point is to use all this stuff to come up with the best tools and, and ideas to drive your business within the confines of your goals and your culture. And I use culture, you know, not in the taking trips and uh, together and drinking beer together, um, although I think that's a nice part of it. I look at culture as the culture of innovation that you're trying to foster. If you're focused on growth as a culture, it takes a full team effort. You have to have everybody on board believing in the process, believing in the system. And because you went to a conference and saw something or you read a book and saw something, certainly that information is valuable. I love going to conferences. I sit there and, and I take notes and I, every time I come up with an idea for us, I put a little star next to it and then I go back and I distill all those stars for me and I say, this is what I learned, something that I think we should try. And then I put it into North Star and we try to run those, you know, try to get it, you know, try to get other people to, to believe in it and nominate it so that we can, um, so that we can run those tests. But like anything, you know, I think you're, I love your podcast. I, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of, a lot of the ones you've done. Oh, thanks, man. Um, no, tr- truthfully, I think it's, it's really one of the, the, the really good ones out there. I actually heard about it from, um, Matt Barbie, uh, from, uh, HubSpot. He was raving about it. And, um, and I, as soon as I, I got me hooked, but when, when I look at it, I, you know, I, I, I listened to, to the podcast he did with you. I listened to all of this and I think these are smart people who have done great things. They've, they've learned from mistakes. What can I learn from them? And then I try to bring that back to the team and, and find our own, our own path with that. But yeah, if it was, if it was that formulaic, everybody would just do it and, uh, we wouldn't have, you know, we would have just winners. But, uh, unfortunately we live in a world where you have to, you have to go out and fight it out every day. It's, it's tough for sure. And, you know, Intercom came out with something called the, the rice model, which is a lot more convoluted. And there's like, you know, division and multiplication in there, which just makes it like this, this thing. But it, it, it does, um, you know, I, I've tried it for a couple of like large initiatives or projects that I'm, I'm personally working on. And it has been a, a lot more, um, I, I guess, it's more of a relief for me because I can now just look at the number and be like, oh, okay, I should do that. But it's still not exact, like you mentioned, right? I think it's a good guideline and it's a good principle. Now, I, I do want to talk about that one blog post because I think it's very helpful to share you know, stories with people so people can get ideas for what they should do and what they shouldn't do versus like us just prescribing something. So you wrote about the post on uh, how, here's how to ruin an experiment. And I, I think it, it does share a story, right? So maybe we can talk about that story. Uh, well, I shared, I shared actually a couple of different stories, uh, uh, you know, mistakes that we made along the way. Yeah. Um, so I give you sort of kind of a, a couple of examples. Sure. Uh, one of my favorites, cause I think, and again, I, I shared that's those stories because I think they're, they're things that people can learn from They you know, it's, um, we made mistakes and we learned from them. Um, so if you don't make them twice, but you grow from them, then they weren't, were they even really mistakes at all? But one of them was we had a test that we were going to run. And at the time we didn't have product teams. We had a, uh, like we had a separate engineering team and when we wanted to build, do a test, we, I said to the engineering team, I said, Hey, can I borrow a person on that team to, to build this out? And we had this test where we wanted to, if I remember correctly with trap call, we wanted to, uh, basically if you signed up for our basic or premium plan, we wanted to upgrade you, um, to a higher plan for one week, right at the point where you're at your decision point, if you're on a monthly trial, uh, on a monthly, um, membership. So 
as you came to your to your second renewal, we wanted to increase the the, the number of people who were renewing a second time. So we thought, let's show you all of the features that we have by upgrading you for a week, right as you're approaching this decision point where you're going to either pay for another month or you're not. And um, we wrote out a, a vision document. We had a clear, you know, this test. When the engineer went to build it, uh, he realized that there was a complexity in uh, moving somebody's subscription up at the time frame that we had suggested. If you, we wanted to do it like three or four days before the per, the person's renewal, he said, "Oh, that's too complicated. I'll just make it ten days before the renewal." That had, and then ultimately the test was a, a complete failure. We had to turn it off because we're like, "Wait, this is blowing this other, you know, this other metric that we're important that we're 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 that's important to us," and. We didn't think much, you know, I thought, okay, a test failed. And then a few weeks later, we were kind of going through a retrospective and we noticed what had happened, that this, the test wasn't the test that we had set up. It was a iteration of it that the engineer had done because he wasn't fully integrated onto the team. He didn't really fully understand the importance of the test in the context of the hypothesis. He just was told, make this happen and, you know, and make this happen so that we can learn something from it. He made that change. He did it out of context, made a a slight change to a date, and it ruined the experiment. And it was just a really good um, learning experience for us because it taught us that if you don't step back and have somebody, have everybody on the team really engaged in the testing, if not, if everyone doesn't understand the purpose, the goals, and if everyone's not excited about the test, you're likely to make mistakes. And whether it's an engineer or a QA engineer or a developer, Everybody has has an important voice in the testing process, so you really have to get everybody involved and, and excited. So do they need they need to be like sitting in the room physically? Yeah, absolutely. Our our growth meetings include everybody, everybody on the team, and I think it's really important. And we and to go to take that one step further, we're really encouraging everyone on the team, whether you're in tech support or developer or product or design, to be to be putting in ideas for the product. So it shouldn't just be you know your product manager or your um, marketing director. It shouldn't just be, you know, one or two people coming up with all the ideas. I mean, at the end of the day, we're, you know, some people are, have more, you know, sort of that creative visionary bent than others, but they don't have all the context. A developer who's looking at the code has ideas that I'll never have because I just don't have that, that technical understanding of how the product, how the product works, you know, from a nuts and bolts standpoint. Right. Um, so it's a really good example of something we learned, you know, another good one from that, I, you know, I, I learned a lot from was we ran a test. We, we put two or three weeks into, um, I think we were, uh, testing, um, uh, Apple pay in one of our, on one of our, on one of our websites. And we did all this work at the end of the day, the test wasn't successful for us. And that, but we, we stepped back and we thought, you know, if we had just put a button that said Apple Pay, we could have measured the same thing without having doing all this work. We could have figured out everything we needed to know without running all the, you know, without all of these developer resource time, uh, developer resources, without the design resources. We could have trimmed it down and we could have learned much faster. And why I think that was so important is the the product owner on that product um, at the time, you know, when she she was able to really not only just own that mistake, but evangelize it to the rest of the team. And especially for us, because we have this portfolio of products. If we're making a mistake or, or getting a learning on one product and we're not sharing it well across the portfolio and our product, our, our product marketing meetings, then we're missing opportunities to really learn from each other. And, you know, some of our, some of our greatest gains on, on products on one product have been because we learned something on another product. Love it. 
Yep. I, I, I mean, this is all, these stories are huge. I mean, in, in this one of the groups I'm in, uh, they, they have this thing called the Gestalt Protocol where, you know, you're not allowed to share advice, but you can share stories. And I, I get a lot of value from actually both. I like listening to both personally. Yeah. But when, when you share stories like that, it's like, oh, okay, that's kind of like that one time that we did that. And then like, you know, I just need to make a tweak here and then everything changes. So we, we're going to link to both the show notes or both the blog posts inside of the show notes. But I do have a couple of other, two more questions actually related to testing, and then we'll work towards wrapping up. So your test bi-weekly, right? Um, you're saying that includes your entire product marketing team? Yeah, our product, our, we're testing, we're essentially running tests on a weekly basis, but we're meeting um, to do our sort of this, the, the growth meeting every two weeks. Um, we found that when we were doing it every week, there's, there were too many tests that were in progress that we didn't have good data for where we were just kind of like, hey, well, we'll let you know next week. So we just uh, said, let's not follow the letter of the law on that on that and uh, create our own process. We moved to every two weeks and that was, that's was that been effective for us. But I think every company is going to have to look at that differently. I mean, and it also depends sort of where you are in your, in your growth cycle, right? I think that testing process, like when you're first starting – and you're struggling just to get one one test consistently run every week, that might be a good time to have that meeting so you can really spend every week so that you can spend the time understanding where the challenges are. Once you have, you know, kind of super high tempo testing and you've got lots of different teams organized around it, it may make more sense to kind of have a, um, this, you know, two week cycle, but we always look at it. You know, I, I, I ask my product owners to look at, at it individually and to make decisions for themselves. Like, because, RoboKiller is running a weekly product meeting does not mean that TapeCall has to run a weekly t- uh, product meeting. It depends on their needs. And um, and I think that's important for us because the, the products are different. They've all taught us things um, about each one and they help and we learn from each one. But they're the t- they're individuals making up those teams. There's different goals for, for the products and the products are unique in what they do. So we have to build, you know, we have to design their processes uniquely around their needs. Cool. So working towards wrapping up here, I've got some rapid fire questions for you. Um, so these are the way these are themed are, well, is basically you can answer them within one sentence, maybe two sentences or so. And then, um, let's see, actually I'm going to throw in like a bonus one here. So how many concurrent tests are you aiming to have at any given time? Uh, across all four products, I would say I'd want at least 15 to 20 tests every week. Okay, great. And then in terms of one must, well, let's go with the tool. So none of the, none of the Teltech suite. Um, so what is one tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value to your life? So it could be like literally like a hammer or like a physical hammer or like an Ever, or like Evernote. AppsFlyer um, has been hugely helpful for us in terms of instrumentation. Um, Julia, again, led uh, that effort to, to bring that into our, our system, and it's been hugely helpful for us. <laughs> a voyage for madmen. Oh, that sounds interesting. Which is a uh, a story about uh, guys who sailed around the world, and uh, I know probably everyone gives you a business book, and I'm I could give you you know certainly Eric Reese's book. No, no, this is good. No, these are these are good for sure. I, I like so Eric Reese's book is good, but I, I like the different ones. Like I, I noticed your WordPress has sailor in it, so it seems like you probably <laughs> like to sail, yeah. So the reason I say that is. Um, the, those situations, that that situation where people were sailing around the world, created a lot of survival situations. And survival 
um, forces people to break down a difficult situation into very specific things to solve a problem um, and to get through the day. Um, there's another one called, uh, I'm forgetting the name, I'll get it for you, but it's about a guy who spent 66 days in a life raft. And I think the lessons you learn from people who are in survival situations apply to the rest of your life. Because when you break things down into manageable parts, they become manageable and that's how you win. Um, and testing is a gr- testing and iteration is a great example of that. You're breaking things down into these simple MVP test ideas so that you can be successful. Awesome. Well, Ethan, this has been fantastic. What's the best way for people to find you online? Uh, LinkedIn is a great way to find me. Cool. Perfect. So everyone search for Ethan Gar. That's with two R's. Am I pronouncing it right? Gar or is it Gar? Uh, Gar. Yep. Gar. Okay, cool. Well, Ethan, thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.